0: Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. We're joined today by Olga Mack. Olga is Vice President and CEO of Parlay Pro at LexisNexis. Parlay Pro is a contract lifecycle management platform that is pioneering online negotiation technology. Olga's dedicated her career to improving and shaping the future of law. She believes that by embracing technology, the legal professional becomes stronger, more resilient, and more inclusive. Olga's TED Talks are very popular, and in addition, she's an outspoken advocate for professional women. She founded the Women Serve on Boards movement that advocates for women to serve on corporate boards, for example. In her spare time, where she finds it, I don't know, she also helps startups thrive and grow serving as an advisory board member for a number of companies. In today's conversation, you'll learn more about why Olga thinks it's so important that the body of law be human-centered, how to make it so, the role of technology and law as a service, and why a more transparent world demands more accessible contracts. Hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm here today with Olga Mack, entrepreneur, CEO, general counsel, lecturer, speaker, author, Founder, fellow, podcast host—the list goes on. Olga, I won't take up our time going through all of it, but you—you you do some amazing things. Thank you for making the time to join with us today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show, and I will make you add one thing: human, human
0: first. <laughs> human that's a, Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. We'll put in the show notes a link to your most recent TED Talk, where you talk about laws of service. And you talk about the need, my words, I think not really yours, for a human-centered approach to the delivery of law, delivering law in terms humans can understand at the time they need it and the place they need it, et cetera. Talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on law as a service. Have I captured the core points?
1: Yeah, you are definitely on point. I'll take maybe even a step back. And reiterate what we as lawyers know intuitively, but maybe don't articulate. And that is law is a foundation of civil society. In the end, civilizations that live and thrive have some sort of body of law that is accessible, that is inclusive, and that is of service. And law is important. We do have a challenge in modern world in that many of us have a broken, dysfunctional relationship with law. We have accepted that we don't understand it, that it is in some other language, and that it is not available. We don't know that it even applies in our important situations. and that law is not of service. And to me, that's a problem. To me, that's the beginning of the end (laughs) because it is such a big foundation of civil society. So I believe that law must be of service. It must be of service to all. It needs to speak human. It needs to show up where we are before we make decisions of consequence.
0: You've uh, obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this and writing and speaking on it. Thoughts as to how we've gotten to this place? What's, What's caused the law to become inaccessible, too expensive, too dense, too unapproachable, too unavailable to people? This obviously didn't happen yesterday. This is built up over a very long period of time. What's the root cause here?
1: Well, that's just it. A series of small steps in the wrong direction that feel natural and no one questions. If it happened as a revolution, if your rights are taken away suddenly, we know that that would be a problem. You know, just look at a few most recent you know, decisions of the United Supreme Court. Things are suddenly taken away. They're shot in a system and you see a reaction. When you see a quote-unquote slow, what feels like quote-unquote natural evolution, A series of small steps in the wrong direction. They just feel natural. And sometimes that natural leads to decline. And so I think that's what it is. It is small steps of not understanding the law, making decisions, not necessarily seeing consequences, accepting it as a reality, accepting that that's a default, signing your name at the bottom, hoping for the best. And most of the time, nothing happens. It's that comfort that law is not there to serve us. It is that comfort that we're making decisions in the dark where we shouldn't. Because the technology to inform us is there. It just somehow hasn't materialized in real life.
0: So how do we make it materialize in real life? What steps do we need to be taking to reverse this trend?
1: Is there any problem? Acknowledging that you have a problem is a huge step. It is that part where you look around the world and say, we are moving in the wrong direction. I run a business and I tell every day, direction is more important than speed. (laughs) You don't want to go quickly to a bad place. Direction is very important. And it is that point where we as leaders, we as society stop and say, we have now for long been trending in the wrong direction. I think that's a step one. And step two, to look around and to see what tools we have in front of us to change that. And uh, sometimes those tools are technological, and sometimes those tools are baseline beliefs and expectations. I frankly find it easier to change technologically, and I find it much harder to change expectations, beliefs and things we've been living with for a long time. That actually takes time. And then prioritize only have in front of you and start building a different reality and change direction. And then assure yourself that you are trending in a better direction. And once you have a conviction that you are trending in a better, more correct direction, that's when you increase speed. If you talk to any pilot, they will tell you that a half degree in direction can be a difference of when you take off in difference in a very different location. So think of yourself as a pilot. A half degree of direction can make a huge difference in success, in your personal success, in your career success, in your societal success, in the success of a civilization.
0: So let's start with step one, recognition that there's a problem. How do you get people to recognize there's a problem? Because people don't often want to acknowledge there's a problem, certainly not a problem that requires them to do something differently. How do you get this problem recognized? Because I, I agree with you that it's a problem, and I agree with your analysis of it. But how do you get people to accept it internally, such that they're prepared to act on a different change methodology?
1: That's a very good question. Many of us who go to law school, one form or another, have a definition of justice and have hold service to at least to some degree of importance. Some of us greater than others. And what I find is that everything starts with a thought and imagination. If you can't even imagine a different world, it definitely will not happen. And so what I found throughout my career that service, no matter whether I, you know, I've know, i been a general counselor for nonprofit, and I've been a general counselor for profit companies, and I've been a CEO for profit companies, service is an important part of my life. And I tend to think of it sort of Five step process. There's some component of writing. There's some component of sharing. There's some component of speaking. There's some component of teaching and there's some component of advocacy slash acting. And those are five components allow you to meet 80% of the 80% of the humans where they are in their natural habitat, depending how they consume ideas to tickle their imagination. And what I find is that humans are smart. If you show them better, if you tickle their imagination, and if you take them from point A to point B, there will be smarter people than I who will take it from B forward. And so that writing, sharing, speaking, teaching, advocating is kind of the model I use in, in various industries and in, in for various causes to be of service. And the goal is to take the conversation from A to B and inspire more capable people to take it forward.
0: One of the uh, tools you talk about, obviously changing people's mindsets and getting them to behave differently, is, of course, an enormous challenge. Let's talk about the easier of the two technology What role does technology play in law as a service?
1: The trend in the world is simplification, accessibility, and standardization. That's just historical art (laughs) in every industry, and law will not be an exception. It turns out that technology is really good at all of those three things. And so... If you show how technology can do one or two or three of those things to folks who already admitted that they have a challenge, they will probably listen. And you know, there are numerous other trends as well, but I do find that simplification, and accessibility, standardization is where the world is bending. And so technology is really good for that. And uh, finding the right person in the audience who will be a recipient is important. And increasingly, it's not an impossible task. We have seen during the pandemic that many business professionals, many legal professionals, many humans have been asking and questioning. And so we see leaders who take positions and nudging their organizations in a different direction. And we see many of them to be increasingly vocal in social media, in speaking, in personal conversations, in every place
0: humans go. It does seem that technologies, the pace of technology innovation has picked up Perhaps and due to the pandemic, perhaps due to natural trend lines anyway. How do you think we should come to grips with the gap between those that have access to technology and those that don't? I'm particularly thinking of access to justice issues, the socioeconomic gaps that exist. You see it in online education. You see it in access to justice. How do we deal with that foundational point if we want to use technology as a accessibility tool?
1: You have to meet people where they are. They may not be on a desktop. They may be on a smartphone today. And depending on the generation, they may be, I don't know, in metaverse, (laughs) (laughs) right? You need to meet them where they are and ask them what they value. You talk to my 11 and 13-year-old, I can tell you for a fact that they value digital stuff much more than real stuff. I still value my real stuff much more. So if you want to speak to all of the world, maybe you should have a different conversation than you have to the generation of my 11 to 13 year olds. I think that that that's very important. That's important in sort of really big audacious goals as sort of decreasing gap in justice. And its also important in the conversation of legal professionals who may be in a different stage of their digital transformation. Not all fantastic legal professionals went to college and used internet or even a computer. (laughs)
0: That's that's very true. Speaking as someone old enough to have been pre-computer.
1: That's exactly right. Thank God we have increasing longevity in this world. And we all will be blessed with longer lifetime. That means that we're going to have generations of professionals who are able and willing to serve And they have different relationships with technology. We need to meet them where they are, where they're comfortable. Because as a society, it is our obligation as a profession to help everyone to cross that bridge safely, comfortably, in a way that you feel included. We need to do more of that. Because just because you did not grow up with internet, it doesn't mean that you have nothing to give of service. You may have a lot of experiences and insights that would be helpful. You are a valuable human, even if you did not grow up with internet. You're a valuable human, even if you don't have laptop and you skipped that stage altogether and went straight to smartphone or not. I think starting with that premise that you're a valuable human first and you are worth including and that... The talent is equally distributed in all population. And it is important for us to bring along everyone on this digital transformation journey and being open that we have different experiences because technology is changing quickly and our lifespans are increasingly long, thank God. And so meeting humans where they are and allowing them to thrive It's a win-win for everyone. It makes the market a much bigger place and therefore more ability to make a profit. It also gives us an opportunity to take advantage of a much bigger pool of talent. So you're much more likely to find genius in a larger pool of talent. It is that simple.
0: So let's talk about simplification and, and ease of use for a minute. In your TED Talk, you gave a number of sort of fabulous examples of People signing stuff that they didn't read, whether it's the NDA to get into a particular business or the eviction notice or the firstborn giving away the (laughs) firstborn.
1: Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) No matter what happens. In my case, my newborn... Was such a pain that I'm almost sure if I gave her away, I would still live in Richard. But don't try this at home.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but part of the problem is people don't read that stuff because it's so dense and they don't think there's anything they can do about it. And you made the point earlier, they just sign it and just hope for the best and just go on. How do we change that dynamic such that you talked in your TED talk, for example, about the eviction? information. And if it were done for accessibility purposes, it would highlight the important stuff like the time of the hearing, the date of the hearing that'd be in a box, just like normal corporations do. What's keeping us from making those simple changes? I know recognizing there's a problem is the first step. (laughs)
1: Look, we are increasingly all living in the fishbowl. And what I mean by that, the world is increasingly more transparent. That's a side effect of technology. When you, for example, you know, I, I spent now almost three years in contract lifecycle management technology. It turns out when you roll it out, your contracts becomes much more transparent. People in your business will know what's in your contract. It's still a private document in a sense that it's not available to the public, but there are shades of what I call privacy. And so when you increase transparency... And that's what technology does, because at any given point, you know where the contract is in flight and who is using and how they're contributing. That is visible. You can see who is a productive member of your team and who maybe not. When all of that becomes transparent, when content becomes transparent and all content around us is increasingly branded, you know, if you people show up on social media to represent who they are. And once you increase the transparency of a document, even internally, it becomes visible. People start seeing what's in your contract, what's not in a contract. Do you hold your suppliers accountable? You tell everyone that you're a friendly brand, yet your contract does not read very friendly. It is those inconsistencies that jar people, what you say and what you do. And so... It's a symbiotic relationship. You see that documents and our work product, even if it's still private, meaning not available to the public, within the company communicates who we are, not just with words, but with the design, how it looks. Does it look like a bunch of dense text that is hard to read? Do we say that we're a friendly company, yet we have a lot of punitive stuff in our contracts? It is those what you say and what you do during reality that are very stark with, you know, and, and obvious when you increase transparency. So we shine the light on the black box and increasingly live in a fishbowl. And when you live in a fishbowl, everyone can see. And what they can do and will do, the first thing they will do is compare your actions and your words. And that forces change. That's how transparency is really paramount in this
0: shift. That's a fabulous point. Let's shift gears just a bit. You talked about spending a number of years in contract technology through Parlay Pro. Tell me about a little bit about the company and what caused you to start that organization.
1: So Parlay Pro is the contract lifecycle management platform. We essentially cover the entire lifespan of a contract, and we help you to have a relationship with a contract that is appropriate to your function and appropriate to the stage of a contract. So, for example, attorney who is living in contract and manages every stage will have a very different relationship than another professional who, for example, only reviews one clause. And that person will have a very different relationship with a contract than a professional who uses a sentence in her daily life. And so we allow you to have a different relationship with that contract, different access to it, different nudging, different interactions based on who you are and where the contract is. Now, I did not start this company. I have a pleasure and a very unusual experience in that I was invited into the company when the company was five years old. I am a foster parent. I'm a very committed <laughs> foster parent. I love my baby. This baby is mine, but I, I'm not a biological parent. That doesn't make me less of a parent. That just makes me non-biological parent who is very committed. And I had a very flattering, fortunate, lucky experience of being invited to to take care of this baby when this baby was five years old. I've been a lateral CEO. That's a technical term for about. Almost three years, I was identified by the founders and recruited by investors to join the company when technology was predominantly developed and the company had no customers. And in the last three years, we refined the technology and we have onboarded many customers that we have today, had various adventures as a technology startup, venture backed company would in Silicon Valley, and have been recently been acquired by Lexus Nexus.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So, I am still a very committed parent <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really excited to be on the journey. I'm fortunate. I'm really grateful to all the people who entrusted me with their baby because I know how hard it is to ask somebody to take up care of your baby. And I am really grateful for the opportunities and learnings and, and ability to make changes it has brought to my life.
0: How do you see the company evolving now that it's in a larger family?
1: So fun fact, I used to be a Nexus rep when I was in law school.
0: Oh, that, there's full circle for you.
1: <laughs> um, Yes, it is. And when I was on my month three in law school, I realized that I was a slightly different person <laughs> than many folks who go to law school. That inspired me to consider dropping out. And so I went to someone who seemed to be a nice, caring person in my law school. Her name was Dean Ortiz. And I went to her office and I said, listen, I am really highly considering dropping out. I am different. <laughs> and she, so she was busy and she sort of was still typing and she said, yeah, I know you're different. I read your application. Law needs different. What's your point?
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> there's some good advice for you.
1: <laughs> and I just sort of stood there, and I was like, hmm, "They picked me for being different." <laughs> and I kind of, you know, it's one of the few times in my life that I ran out of words. So my, my parents were, you know, waiting for me to come home. They did not want me to drop out. My parents also know me well enough that they did not want to give me a gift of no because they know when they tell me no, I will do exactly the opposite to prove them wrong. <laughs> so they're waiting for dinner teas and hoping that she would say something good. So my dad said, what did you say? And I said, she said that law is different. <laughs> 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 and that was our sort of context. He said. Well, she didn't say, she didn't agree with you that you should drop out, right? <laughs> and I said, no. In fact, she told me that one is different. So, and he's like, well, different is good. Different is different. So go for it. <laughs> so that's how I ended up staying. But one of the things, you know, we continued the conversation. And she, she, what she said was that, one was that we we read your application. You being different is not a new thing. You are, but two, she said, look, I mean, you really, you know, you're making decisions based on the study of law and the practice of law is very different. So go ahead and try some things in law, and then if you still feel like it's not for you, then drop out. But you have worked really hard to be in Berkeley Law. And you're doing well, you're just not sure if it's for you. So one of the things I did, I picked up many, many jobs. LexisNexis was one of those jobs. I also worked at FTC and uh, California Law Revision Commissions and Yahoo Labs. I had more jobs in law school than an average student. And what I learned is that I really like the practice of law and I like that commitment to service. And for me, LexisNexis was a a very important experience because it was a daily reality. I went to law school to be a tech lawyer and it was one of the only experiences in law where I was interacting With technology, you know, their search capabilities and and their content capabilities. And I got really excited about stuff I found. I'll give you one more fun story. So as you know, folks in law school like to serve on a law review and they're invited to apply. And that actually always puzzled me because you And I asked this question, and no one been, been able to answer this question to me. Why does everyone want to serve on a law review and edit somebody else's article? If you really want to make an impact, perhaps you can write your own. And so um, what I ended up doing was actually during my law school, I, I wrote five law review articles. <laughs> I probably wrote more than most. I spent so much time in LexisNexis lab playing with their technology and going down deep rabbit holes on all kinds of nuances of law, that inspired me to write five of them. So um, all of that to say is that I think LexisNexis is a very inspiring place for me personally. It was very important for forming me as a lawyer. I am really excited about this partnership with Scarlet Crow. I see the world as sort of in five stages in the futures. So I, I see it automated. I see it connected. I see data-driven, intelligent, and timely. And LexisNexis Nexus Pro Partnerships allows me to really increase our reach and increase our impact in all five.
0: That's fabulous. Looks like it's going to be an exciting continuation of the journey. Let's move back to what made you different in law school. I know you moved to the U.S. when you were 13 and your parents are engineers. So you come from a, a very analytical I would think, family structure. I mean, engineers are tend to be very analytical, analytical types. <laughs> Is that what made you feel different in law school?
1: My parents are engineers, and we had a pretty analytical household. Fun fact, I went to art school. <laughs> my, my parents got at peace with the idea that I will make the world a more beautiful place. And I remember they do not like giving me a gift of no, because they know that if they tell me no. I will do exactly that. So, you know, I think... I went to law school very intentionally. I considered two options. I considered PhD in economics and I considered law school. I chose law school because I perceived it to be a more practical place to solve daily problems. When I got to law school, and this is not by any means criticism to Berkeley law. This is a general observations about legal education as being much more academic, less practical and less human. And I was jarred. I perceived my experiences much closer to what I would experience as a PhD student in economics. And that's not what I wanted. I was looking for ways I can be practically helpful on day one. And that was not happening.
0: Fair enough. I think you're not the only person who've had that experience in law school. Many of us, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be when we started.
1: Yes, but I think what makes me different is asking whether I should continue dancing to the song that I don't like.
0: <laughs> Fair point. The rest of us just danced along. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're still with LexisNexis. You're still CEO of Parley Pro. Will that continue for a while? What's, what's next for you?
1: The next is building at LexisNexis. As I mentioned, you know we've been on a journey of automating a lot of things and contracts, and that will continue. We also have been on a journey of being more connected, and this will continue even more with LexisNexis. It has number of properties that are important. Uh, one of the most important connections to us is counseling. Counseling unites legal teams around matters. We unite business and legal teams around contracts. If you have a robust connection, you can unite the entire enterprise. And Link also connects to billing. So it connects to service providers and law firms. So I am looking forward to building a world where you operate a legal team and a business with knowing exactly what you have in your legal documents, why it's there, what changes you can make today to make a brighter future tomorrow. So I'm really excited about sort of building a much more connected legal team really excited about data capabilities of LexisNexis. They have some really exciting contract data capabilities that I've been dreaming to build, and now I will be building on. And so that will make the already very advanced product much more exciting and useful, and I am really excited about it. And then the future is much more intelligent. And as we know... What attracted me to Lexus Nexus in law school was its content. The content needs to show up where we are, when we need it, at the right place, and the right time. And we will be doing that because, you know, as a former in-house lawyer, as a former general counsel, I think there is an absolute opportunity to be informed about the right things at the right time. Because we see the rise of in-house professionals and we see the way they interact with their service providers is changing. And contract is where many in-house professionals live. And we will be there serving them, making them more intelligent at the right time. Because I truly believe in this power of content. And of course, as I said, timely is important. Timely is very important in all decisions, especially legal decisions. It's not useful to know that you're wrong after something happened. It is useful to know how to be right and how to make good decisions. And that's what a good lawyer brings to a conversation. So um, the plan is to build the future of law and bring, you know, the capabilities and content that we have and combine with power of data content and the power of connections within. Lexus Nexus, And I think it's a bright
0: future. It sounds fantastic. It sounds incredibly exciting. We're out of time. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed the conversation. Olga, thank you very much for your time. You've got a few things on your plate. I appreciate you squeezing us in.
1: Absolutely. This was fun.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit PioneerPodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.